Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us for the 539 Church Podcast. 539 is a church in Goodyear Heights seeking to invite people into Jesus's family. If you're in the Northeast Ohio area, we'd love to have you join us for one of our Sunday morning gatherings. For more information about us, including our service times, address, and live stream information, please go to 539.church or look us up on Facebook or Instagram. You can grab a Bible and turn to Philippians chapter 3. If you have one, if you need one, there's one in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, that black one is a gift to you. And also, if you've never really navigated the Bible, uh, it will be on the Sky Bible, really, so for you to kind of pay attention and go along. So either way, as you're turning there, uh, we have a few more weeks in this series, Better Together, uh, which is basically walking through chapter and verse through the book of Philippians. And as you're turning there, I want you to think for a time um, that you tried to give advice to someone and it went bad. It went bad. Maybe uh, it was your spouse. You tried to give advice to your spouse. What a daunting task that is, right? Um, and all the husbands are like, amen. So you either try to give advice uh, to your son or daughter. I mean, just what a tough one. That's even harder, right? Or maybe it's to your boss or your friend or uh, your sister or brother, whatever the case is. You would see something and you would say, hey, I would like to try to influence or encourage Uh, someone if they're struggling, or challenge someone in a way that they need to. Have you ever had to do that? And it just went bad, downright bad. And you're like, hey, where did I go wrong? Was it my approach? Was it what I said? Was it how I said it? What was the case uh, that that took place? And it just went bad. Um, It was a couple years ago. I have a few stories where these went bad. I just kind of picked one on the way here with hope. But either way, uh, it was a couple years ago. I was playing uh, church league basketball where all godliness just seems to come out in guys who are playing sports for Jesus. And we're at this, uh, in this church league basketball game, and a guy on the other team, uh, he was, you know, he was pretty good. And as he's playing, uh, he like went up for a shot and he missed the shot. And as he missed the shot, he got fouled. And then he said like, you know, four or five pretty choice words. You know, he was like, blankety, blank, blank, you know, and he kind of threw the ball up and everyone's like, oh, you know, and a guy on my team uh, felt called by God, called by God to really go confront, correct this guy and tell him, how could you use this choice language? How could you do X, Y, and Z, whatever the case is? And he's just laying into him. I mean, half court, like, you know, yelling at him. Well, at halftime, I had kind of went and did some investigating like I would normally do and come to find out this guy has really never been to church, doesn't know Christ. This is like the only interaction he has with other Christian-like guys, kind of. And so I go up, and I'm like, at this point, I'm about to lose my mind, right? I'm like, you know, I'm pretty worked up, as you could imagine. So I go up to the guy on our team, and I'm like, hey, what are you thinking? Like, what's going through your head as you're thinking you want to correct someone's external behavior Uh, in your eyes before really the heart, you know, needs to be transformed and all those types of things. And he went on to say, you know, if you're going to be in this league, you got to be a Christian and you got to do this, you got to behave this way. And I just was baffled. So I was correcting this guy and it went very bad. Uh, We mended the relationship, kind of. We played the rest of the year together, kind of talked, wouldn't pass from the ball. But either way, uh, you get it where you're trying to correct someone and you've been through something and you're like, hey, I've been there before whether it was basketball or sports, whatever the case is, where I was just trying to be around other Christian people or godly people, and I had no ambitions to please God, but I was thankful to be there. Really, here's what happens with a lot of us. 
we have experiences. We've been through some things in life. And as a result of the experiences, hopefully, hopefully, we want to help someone. Experience is a great teacher. Really, I'll start off with this way this morning. Experience doesn't make us wise, but it should motivate us to help others. Experience is a very good thing. Now, the problem with experience is often, uh, if you just have experience, if you're not careful, it can be simultaneous with pride. Meaning, you look at other people not to try to help them, but to look down on others. So if you have experience as a parent, uh, you'll look at your kids who have kids, and you are just pulling out your hair because you want to tell them how to raise the kids. Whatever the case is, or grandparents, or coworkers, whatever it is, you'll see someone going through something, and you want to help so bad. But the question that you and I need to answer is this. If we don't know how, how to actually help someone, we'll have no influence. We'll have no influence at all. Because when you want to help someone, your approach matters tremendously. Really is, is yelling the goal. Like the guy on the basketball court just screaming at the guy for saying cuss words at a, at a basketball game. Is that the goal? Is it to be mean? Is it to really get all worked up over things that don't really matter? What, what is really, really going to influence someone? And how? How do you determine when you're going to give influence to someone else? And we'll say it this way, is we typically receive advice from people that are worth following, or really, we deem them as worth following. We'll say, I will give, I will give influence to this person, because how, how that's going to play out is, is very important, because what, what, what we can't do is say that we want to influence people for Jesus, but we don't want to do it the way Jesus would do so. We just want to maybe yell at someone, we want external behavior, and we don't really get to the heart of it. Because here's what the Apostle Paul does, the guy in this book who's been writing the whole time. Um, We would, and the people in this church are deeming him as worth following. Really, his life is just all out for God. And he's proven it. Really, he says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That he pours his life out for God. And the harder his circumstances get, the more he gets squeezed and cut. Really, it's humility. It's the Bible. He's pouring his life out for God. He has a thorn in the flesh, and he's like, hey, power's perfected in weakness. No matter what the case is, he's saying, hey, at the end of my run, at the end of my run, I have fought the good fight. I finished the race. So they look at him, and they say, hey, this guy is worth following. He's not living for himself. So what does he do? What does he do? What is his approach in Philippians chapter 3? He, he tells his story. He tells his story. Really, probably the most practical way to try to influence someone else, or will allow the Bible to influence us today, is to hear a story. Really, having this approach of saying, hey, I don't have it all together. I'm not there yet, and I never will be there until I get to heaven. But I've made some mistakes I have, as we'll see, I have lived a lie. So what I would like to do with my experience is to help other people. I want to encourage them. I want to warn them of some things. I don't want them to make the same mistakes that I have made. If you've seen someone after you, you want to help them and say, hey, don't do what I did. Don't do what I did. There's some things to learn from the mistakes that I've made. So we are going to look at Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. And I broke it down in three different areas. And the first point I have for today is personal experience leads to patiently repeating. 
patiently repeating. Moms and dads, uh, you know with children, especially toddlers, you have to patiently repeat yourself on multiple occasions. And even parents of middle school and high schoolers, you will patiently repeat yourself. Your kids will not hear what you said. They will go off to Johnny's house and hear what Johnny's mom said. They will come back and tell you what you've told them for years. And you can't care who gets the credit. But from personal experience, it leads to patiently repeating. Let's look at verses 1 and 2. Chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. He says this. Finally, my brothers. Uh, quick rabbit trail, just a comment. You know he's a preacher when he says finally, and he has two more chapters to go. So it's kind of like, hey, as we wrap up and the band's coming up, and then he talks for 20 more minutes. You're like, I thought we were done. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It's the sixth time he has said that in this book. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. I'm, I'm writing the exact same things. I've told you in person, and now I'm going to tell you again. I'm going to repeat myself. Look out for the dogs. Now, this is not an endearing term like look out for them dogs or like your actual dog that barks and all of you have dogs and you walk your dog, you love your dog, you dress your dog, you get your dog all pampered up. He's not talking about your dog at your house. If you love dogs, that's fine. Not a dog guy. No big deal. Look out for the dogs. Who are the dogs? The evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. So here is what he is saying. Hey, there are people out there who are trying to teach a different Jesus than you have heard from Jesus himself. Really, they were called in the Bible Judaizers, which is just a term for people who would teach that if you work for God, if you work for God, you will earn God's love and approval on your life. That if you do things for God, he will love you more. And the Apostle Paul says this, hey, I'm going to repeat myself. I'm going to say the same thing. You need to look out for people who teach Jesus plus something equals everything or eternal life. He's saying, hey, this is worth repeating. Why? Why? Because when you realized you lived a lie, leading others to truth is worth repeating. When you realize that you have went through some stuff and maybe you said some wrong things about God or yourself and you come out of it, you come out of it, you want to help other people in an actual, tangible way, leading them to truth. Because as we've said, and we'll see here in a second, this guy, the Apostle Paul, his life, he has been radically transformed. The things he used to believe about God were wrong. Used to believe. He used to believe you have to be, the, the better person you are, the more works you do for God, the, the more passionate you are about God, the more God will love you. That you can work for God. And really, this theme in the New Testament, he brings up all the time. Because you and I, our people, by nature, we will naturally pull to the side of believing that the more I go to church, the more I do things for God, if I do communion, if I get baptized, if I get in a study, if I serve, now God loves me. He is destroying this idea. You need to look out for people who teach this. He repeats himself. He's saying, hey, I'm writing the same thing to you. I've already said this. I'm saying it again. And really, I don't know who initially said the quote, but he said that you and I as people need reminded more than instructed. We just need reminded, which is often what we're doing here on Sunday morning, is it not? That we're being reminded of what Jesus do does for us and that he died on the cross for us. 
We often don't need instructed of something new. We're looking for a, a new teaching or a new way. And he's saying, hey, look out for people who are destroying the image of God and the way to God in this way. Number two, personal gain quickly, quickly becomes our God. You see, we'll look at here in a second in verses three to six, <clears throat> but there is a way in which you and I naturally want to have personal gain. There's things in life that you want. You want goals, you have ambitions, you got resolutions, I do, I got them all. Um, you have things that you want to accomplish in life. But really, if we're not careful, it will quickly, quickly become the God that we worship. So let's look at verses three to six. He says, for we are the circumcision, which is very confusing if you're new to church or the Bible. You're like, why are we talking about circumcision at church? Uh, real quick, history lesson. Uh, in the Old Testament, it was commanded, commanded for the people of God to be circumcised. On the eighth day, it was what they were told to do as a sign and a symbol that they were cut off or separate from the world. If you were not circumcised, you could not be a Jew or a follower of God. Jesus comes and he says, hey, there's no works you can do to earn my love. That doesn't matter if you're circumcised, uncircumcised, that you come to me by faith. So in the church, there is a leaking of teaching saying this, hey, you have to be circumcised in order to follow Jesus. In Acts chapter 15, Paul says this, that we should not make it harder for Gentiles to come to God. That really we come by faith. He says this, we are the circumcision. Here's what he means. Who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Then he gives a resume. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, which is kind of weird. He's listing his credentials. He says this, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So he is using his personal story to teach a lesson here saying, hey, you cannot trust in yourself or your confidence or your flesh to earn God's love and approval. He's saying, hey, if anyone, if anyone was going to be a master at this, I was the guy. He's saying, I kicked your butt at religion for God. He's saying, if anyone was going to be approved because of what they've done, it was him. He's saying, and I put no confidence in the flesh. And I want to talk about this for a moment. A great exterior life does not guarantee a great spiritual one. That often we try to have this external life, really our resume, um, our achievements. We want people to see our bio, our posts. We want to see a great exterior life. And often, often in the Bible, it doesn't guarantee a great spiritual one. Usually a great exterior life at times can mean an empty inner life. So he is teaching this. Hey, external things that we look at, they are vain. He's saying, for zeal, I was blameless at what other people would see. I was doing all these things for God. And he's saying, I have no confidence in the flesh. And also, I'll say it this way. Jesus cares more about the condition of our heart than our career accomplishments. Because often when we are trying to do things for God or making sure God approves of us, what we will do is we will put the approval of other people 
based upon how we feel about the situation. So if mom and dad approve what I'm doing, I think I'm good with God. Or if the boss or someone else thinks I'm doing well, then I'm good with God. And, and I think Jesus says, hey, the condition of your heart is way more important than what you accomplish, way more important than your goals, way more important than your gains and how much money you make and what everyone thinks of you. He's saying, hey, way more than all of that, all of that, the condition of your heart is way more important, way more important. And really, the, the timelessness of the Bible is incredible. This is 2,000 years ago, and you and I will naturally drift to believe this every time. That the more, the better my year's going, the more if I'm keeping my goals, the more if I'm uh, keeping my diet, the more if I'm working out, the more if I, people love me, the more if I'm reading books and I'm uh, growing in leadership, or whatever the case is, the more that then God is so happy with me, so happy with me. We miss a quiet time and we think God hates us. We got to shape up. You, you feel this pull toward that. And here's what he is saying. Hey, the condition of your heart is way more important than your career accomplishments. Jesus, this is where he looks at and what he cares about. Because here's what happens with us. Confidence in self leads to worship of self. The more disciplined you become, the more disciplined, uh, the more you'll start to feel that you, you've earned something. Like, you deserve something. The more disciplined you are, the, the more you've learned, you feel like God owes us something and we put him in our debt. So we start to not worship God just because he's God, but we start to worship, man, I, I'm pretty good. I, I mean, no one else could have done what I did. No one else could have really mustered. I mean, I'm not saying that. I'm saying uh, we have this mindset of this. And really, he says this, I put no confidence in the flesh. And I think, I think the God of self, the God of self is the enemy of knowing Jesus in 2023 and in our day. It's the God of self. We just place ourselves right at the center and it's so easy and it's such a pull and it's where really it's the enemy of knowing Jesus. It's, he says, I put no confidence in the flesh. I want to talk for a second, just a quick reference to Jeremiah 2. It says this in Jeremiah 2.25, and this one just really cuts deep. He says, slow down, take a deep breath. What's the hurry? Why wear yourself out? Just what are you after anyway? But you say, I can't help it. I'm addicted to alien gods. I can't quit. You see, in Jeremiah's day, the people of God, they're not serving Jesus. They're not serving God. And he says this, hey, you have forsaken me. I miss the devotion of your youth when you first started. And, and God's correcting them, and he's saying, hey, why are you on this hamster wheel of approval? Why are you trying this external, exterior life for everyone to see? And he's saying, slow down. Take a deep breath. Why, why are you wearing yourself out? For who? For what? Who are you trying to please? And, they, and the people of God are responding, we can't quit. We're addicted to it. I'm addicted to confidence and self. I'm addicted to approval and affirmation. I'm addicted to all of that, right? This past week, I had to take all my 2023 goals and crumble them up and throw them in the trash. I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do anymore. Shoot. Here's the question for us. What are we after anyway? Or who? Who's getting our ambition? Who's driving the ship? Who is the one that we are trying to please? 
Are we putting confidence in what we can do for God? Paul says, hey, out of all of you, I smoked you. I mean, I I did more than you could. I mean, you can work 12 hours a day. You can be at the church every time the doors are open. You can do everything for God. Guess what? I put you in the dust. I put you in the dust. So asking ourselves this question, hey, what are you after? Slow down. Take, Take a deep breath. Evaluate, really, your own heart and mind. Just what are we after anyway? Who are we trying to please? Who are we trying to please? And number three, knowing Jesus is the goal and the gain. He is the goal. He is the gain. And often, often, and I'm going to talk about this for a brief moment, it's easy, it's easy to come to Jesus because we want something from him. We want him to fix our marriage. We want him to fix our financial situation. We want a better future. We're asking for something more than Jesus. And, and really, the goal, the gain, is knowing him. Knowing him. Let's look at verses 3 to 11. He says this, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss. Everything. You just put it in the camp. Everything. Everything. Everything externally, everything I can do, all the confidence, all the self all that, everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. And just because I have to, I can only say what that word means when I was a college pastor, but we can't today. Either way, it just means a pile of crap. It's what it means. It's worse than that. He's saying, hey, everything you could do, Pile it up. That's what, it's rubbish to God. You can't earn God's love. You can't put God in your debt. He's saying, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may, here it is, know him. That I may know him. In the power of his resurrection, and may share in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. He's using some big church words here for those of you who are new to the Bible. He's saying that I wouldn't count what I'm doing as a righteousness to God. Here's what that word means. It's a right standing before God so you can have relationship with him. He's saying it is by faith. It is by faith. Paul would reject the view that if you work for God, he will love you more. He rejects it. It's Galatians 2.16. He's saying, by no works of the law will you be treated just. You can't do anything. You can't put God in your debt. He's saying to have a right standing before God is based upon faith in Jesus, based upon his work, not what we can do. And Paul stopped living for personal gain, and he just made Jesus his only priority. He just made Jesus, hey, I'm going to take my goals, I'm going to throw them in the trash, I'm going to take my gain, whatever I'm after, I'm going to throw it in the trash, I'm going to take my own life, I'm going to take my own confidence, and I'm going to say, hey, this isn't about me, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take all of that, and I'm going to throw it away, and I'm going to say, hey, knowing Jesus is the only priority. That's all we got. That's all we got. And for some of us, we're looking for a song, we're looking for a sermon, we're looking for a self-help, we're looking for a donut, I don't know, you're looking for something. And you're saying, hey, Jesus is the goal and the gain. He's the priority. 
and we don't come to Jesus. Here's what's so difficult. Jesus will help you in your life. I do believe that wholeheartedly. I think following Jesus will make you better at life. But knowing Jesus is life itself. That we don't put Jesus into a debt saying, once I follow him, he'll now give me and do what I want him to do. As you get to throw him in a box and say, okay, Jesus, I tithe this week. Would you help me do exactly what I want? Jesus, I served you. Why did I get a ticket? He's like, you were driving fast. You shouldn't do that. Jesus, I'm doing this. Would you, why, why did I get in a fight with my spouse? I thought this was supposed to work. We, we put him in there, and Jesus is saying, hey, the goal is not that you get something. Guess what you get? You get him, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. He says, hey, everything, everything is a loss. Everything is a loss. So for a brief moment, what I want to do is talk about this idea of Paul lived a life, lived with limits to reach his purpose, not his potential. I want to look at a moment in Acts 16, but I want to talk about this. This is huge today. People are saying, reach your potential, reach your purpose, all this type of stuff. And here's what's true. Contrary to maybe what you would think, I don't think Jesus reached his potential. I think he had a heavenly purpose in the Father's will, and that's what he was after. How many times would people approach Jesus and say, hey, you need to heal everybody? And he would say, I have to go. I can't heal everyone right now. I'm on a mission. Hey, preach the gospel in this town. And it would say, he turned and went another way. Hey, don't tell anyone about who I am just yet. Really, there's a, there's a difference between purpose and potential. And I think the purpose you and I have is knowing Christ. And really, there is this idea of just bracing, embracing limits. He says, everything is a loss. Everything. My career accomplishments, what I want to do, everything is a loss to knowing Jesus. I want to look at Acts 16. And this is uh, 16, 6 to 10. This is leading into, leading into the Apostle Paul starting this church. This is the, the weaker month before. This is what it says. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Perga and Galatia, having been kept by the Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. And when they came to the border, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. And Paul had seen the vision. We got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. You see, multiple times he was going to go in a different place, and Jesus says, hey, don't go there. You think Paul could have done everything? Yeah, tried to. Go everywhere, be everywhere for everyone, please everyone, put confidence in self. And it says, hey, the spirit of Jesus is guiding him to Macedonia, which is in Philippi. Hey, we're calling you to a place because here is what uh, really this whole series, not to like debunk the whole uh, title, but really we are better together, but we're always at our best when we know Jesus more. We are better as a group collectively that we help each other, we encourage each other, we pray for one another. Really, we're, we're better together as a group, but at your best when you seek to know Jesus more. And I know for a lot of us, you're looking for something just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Hey, is there something else? Is there something more uh, uh, practical? Is there something more that I can put in my life? Is there something else? And the answer is, not really. <laughs> not really. The answer is that I would know him in the power of his resurrection that I would share in his suffering. Because really, um, the, the best version of ourselves is the one that knows Jesus more. 
that we would say, hey, what is in my life that I need to cut out? What is in my life that's just extra? And it's not because God is asking me to do it. It's because I'm trying to please everyone else. I'm trying to prove it to somebody. What else is in my life that Jesus never asked me to? You see, the Apostle Paul had a sensitivity to the Spirit that would say, where does God want me and why? If the Spirit closes the door, I'm not going to bust the door down. Where is he leading me to? And really, I want us to ask ourselves this question. Is it possible you're going after personal gain instead of seeking to know Jesus? Is it possible that there's things, there's people, there's places in your life you're adding to that maybe Jesus has never called you to? Are you trying to work and earn his approval of your life? Because knowing Jesus is the goal and the gain. And I am, I am not naive to believe this. There are some of us here today that you do not know Jesus. You don't know him. Jesus, one of his rebukes was saying this, hey, I know that you do good things for me, but really at the end of the day, I will say depart from me, I never knew you. That your right standing before God is because someone drags you to church. Someone make, forces you to do something for God. You don't know him. You wouldn't know what he sounds like. You wouldn't know what he feels like. You wouldn't know uh, his heartbeat. You wouldn't know his mind. Do you know him? And the only person, the only, not trying to cause any anxiety, the only person who can answer that question is you. You're the only one. Do you know him? Is it possible? Is it possible you're basing it upon your works for God and what you can do? I want to challenge you this morning. If you don't know him, the Bible says it is by faith. You call upon God. You admit, hey, I, I'm a sinner, and I need you to save me right now because I've trusted in myself, and I'm committing to put no confidence in the flesh. Let me pray for us this morning. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for Philippians chapter 3. We're thankful for the reminder and maybe for the first time hearing it, that really the goal and the gain is to know you. God, I pray that we would be a church that seeks to know you more and more. And Lord, for those in this room, they have no relationship with you. It's maybe based upon what they've done. Maybe they've never put that decision before them. And if that is you right now, I want to give you the opportunity to receive the love and forgiveness of Jesus. Maybe you've never made this decision or maybe you've acted like you have or whatever the case is. If God is prompting you, I believe that in this moment, you can call out to him for salvation. That you would pray a simple prayer to God. You would just talk to him right now and you would just say, God, I am a sinner and I don't know you. I have, I have no relationship with you. I have no heart for you. It's so cold. I have no desire for you. I've just done things for you, but I want to receive your love and your forgiveness. And if you're praying that right now, would you just raise your hand right where you're standing so I can pray for you. If this is the first time you've ever even thought about this decision, amen. Awesome. Anyone else? Awesome. There is no better decision than knowing Christ. 
This is the first. This is the goal. This is the gain. This is why we do what we do, that Jesus' love is so profound and so personal. I want you guys to stand as we pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that we don't just need more stuff. We don't just need more of ourselves. We need you. And so, God, for those who have received Christ as Savior today, the Bible says there's more joy in heaven over one person who repents than over 99 who don't need it. So, God, as we get to sing to you, would we mean it in the depth of our heart and soul? Would we cry out to you that there is nothing better than you? We pray this in Jesus' name.